Now I want to talk to you briefly about what happened on Friday with the Supreme Court ruling. And I want to say, first of all, that we have prayed as believers for many, many years that they would stop the insanity of legalized abortion on demand. I know that's not popular with our culture, but one of the most important principles in the Word of God is the principle of life. In our Constitution, it is enshrined that we are given the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Some people never get the opportunity to pursue life because their life is never given to them. I'm going to tell you something that you don't know. My daughter-in-law is the product of a relationship where a man forced a woman and she was the child that was born. And I know what they're saying, that, well, you need options and, you know, the reason they're fighting for divorce is because there are people who are victims and of sexual assault and incest and that is horrific and terrible and What I think they need to do is deal with those people that are doing that and stop letting them back out on the streets and and address the problem itself. But what has happened is they've used that as an excuse for legalizing abortion. And most folk don't know that only 1% of the babies that are aborted actually are the result of sexual assault. Less than a half a percent are the result of an incestuous relationship. So that means 98 and a half percent of the babies that are born, that that are aborted, I'm sorry, that are not being allowed to be born are being aborted. And the reason given for the permissions is often that, that I've just stated. Well, we have to have a way to handle things when someone is assaulted. That's a separate issue. We can deal with stuff like that, but let's not indiscriminately take innocent lives. And the reason I mention that is because the lady that that was born as a result of that assault is now one of your young people's pastors. And her son happens to be one of our assistant pastors, Andrew Hurd. That preached two Sundays ago. He would not be here and she would not be here. If it were not for the fact that somebody did what they could to ensure that life was viable. And so I want you to look at the realities of the situation. I wouldn't have a daughter-in-law and I wouldn't have a grandson. If these laws which are and have been in place and were in place for 50 years, have been followed to the letter and everybody lived by that same rule. And in the Bible, it's important we be able to live by the same rule. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I want to say, what should our Christian response be? Because there are a lot of angry people out there. There are a lot. The Supreme Court is ne- was never, go back and read your constitution, it was never created to legislate law in this nation. It wasn't that, that, That's Congress's job. 
and the president's job. And I know the president is upset right now too, and I disagree with him strongly, but here's where I come from as a pastor and as a believer. Now we need to do something to provide options for those kids that are going to be born that came through some of these things that I'm talking about. We need to provide things like like health care to make sure that these children can be taken care of. Can I just hear somebody say amen? I mean, look at it like this. All the money we've paid Planned Parenthood during the years. Why don't we put that into taking care of the kids? Amen. That's just my thought. Because, listen, we've got 65 million deaths. 65 million deaths that this nation is responsible for. And we wonder why we're facing chaos right now. You can't have the favor of God when you have that hanging over your head. God, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse this nation. Amen. Amen. Cover this blood with your blood. Amen. Make our nation righteous. You know the real problem? Lord, I I don't know if I'm going to get to my message. I feel something coming on here right now. But the real problem is they stop teaching basic morality. They don't teach you right from wrong anymore. And they need to teach the word of God. You squeeze God out of everything. The song said it a while ago. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. But you can sing your songs and act religious and leave God sitting outside the front door. And wonder why there is no favor and no blessing. So the first thing we need to do is consider the health care needs. Secondly... We need to have viable options of adoption. I'm serious about that. Amen. I have a friend who founded a child care foster agency and also worked with adoption. It is unbelievable the red tape you've got to go through to adopt a child. And many, many times children are just being aborted that their parents whose arms are wide open saying, I'll take them, I'll take them, I'll take them. And just from personal experience, I shared with you something a moment ago that I I hope, well, I hope it does shock you, I guess. Because members of my family have had to live through some horrible stuff. I'm talking about my in-laws. And fortunately, the woman that I'm talking about who was assaulted by someone And they lived in this city. She married a good man that decided that he was going to be a father to the baby that was born. And that baby became my daughter-in-law when she grew up and gave me Andrew and gave me Aiden and gave me Taylor and gave me Michaela. Amen. And I thank God for her and I thank God for her mom and I thank God for the man that married my daughter-in-law's mother. And she was, she was assaulted. It wasn't her choice. So what I'm saying is, is God can take bad things and turn it into good things. Amen. 
And for all that's wrong in this crazy world, let's not us start being wrong. Amen. Let's stand for righteousness. I've told you that. I, I know. I know. I know it's so divided in this nation. It's unbelievable. And if you're not a Republican, the Democrats go hate on you. And if, uh, I mean, if, uh, the, the, if you're not a Republican, Republican, let me say that, the Republicans will hate on you. And if, if you're not a Democrat, then the Democrats go hate on you. And if you're one or the other, then you, you, you feel like you've got to embrace that platform. No, you can stand up and say, I am this and I am that, but I don't agree with this right here. And... You know, don't buy into everything. Don't let people lead you over the edge of the cliff. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. This is what I'm saying. Live by this book right here. Live by this book right here. If we're not careful, we're going to reach a point where anything they legislate, we're going to say, oh, okay. Forget what the word of God says. Let's go with that. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself in disfavor with God. And you'll have to answer to God someday. So take a stand for righteousness in your life. Amen. Doesn't mean that you should go out and be violent. Doesn't mean that you should be angry and mean and treat people bad. You got to love on folk. Even folk that, that disagree with you and... Amen. Care about people. Can I hear somebody say praise the Lord? Amen. I hope that has helped you. I'm, we're in a series that is entitled Your Home, Your Castle. Andrew preached the first message and like, wow, he did an amazing job. I believe this series on family is going to be uh, vital and that it will help you build the kind of home, marriage, family, and other relationships that honor God that you need in your life and that matter to you because it is true. Relationships, the home, the values of the kingdom are under assault like they never have been. And just because I said what I, I said a while ago, there will be people that will hate on me. And you know what? Jesus had something on his back called stripes. Because he stood for what he needed to stand for. And we might have to carry a few wounds in these days that we live in as believers. But don't you buy into this culture that says everything is okay. And the church is outdated and is wrong. This book did not change. You say, but it was written so many years ago. Yeah, but the God that wrote it lived outside of time. He is the ancient of days and lives in tomorrow before tomorrow ever gets here. Amen. So we stand for righteousness, but we do it in love and kindness. That's what was missing when I was growing up as a child. People stood for righteousness, but boy, they could do it and be mean. I'm telling you, they could flay you open with their tongue. And they thought they were doing God a favor. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to hell. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. They acted like they were glad. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're going to hell. Praise the Lord. You're going to bust hell wide open. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Anybody else raised? <laughs> no, don't raise. 
Amen. Amen. Your home was meant by God to be your castle. A place of refuge for you, your spouse, your family. In this crazy, insanely broken world that we live in, it should be, your home should be the one place outside of church that is safe. I want everybody to say that word, safe. It is supposed to be your personal garden of Eden. And that's important because God's original assignment for mankind was to expand and enlarge Eden. We see God's original intention for mankind expressed in the five mandates that he gave to Adam in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Genesis 1 verse 28 says this, the A clause, and God blessed them. And then God said to them, notice these things, be fruitful, comma, and multiply, comma, and replenish the earth, comma, and subdue it, and then have dominion over it. Many people talk about the four Genesis mandates. I count five, and I look at the original Hebrew words, and it leads me to conclude that five is the correct number. Be fruitful and multiply are often conflated and put together to mean the same thing. I think they're two different things. To be fruitful means to be successful. It means to achieve success. God said, Adam, I want you to go and I want you to be successful. Then I want you to multiply and increase in number. That's multiplication. Then I want you to replenish the earth. And that's two things. When you look at the Hebrew, it means to feel. That is to take over. And it also means to consecrate. Consecrate speaks to purpose. When you're consecrated, it means you're set apart for a purpose. That's what we will do with Bishop Peter Okery in the second service and his family. And then fourthly, God said subdue it, which means to bring it under. Or the Hebrew word is to subjugate it. It speaks of spiritual conquest. It presupposes conditions of war and conflict. And... It also says have dominion, and that is to exercise governmental authority. So you go out, you be successful, you increase and multiply in number, you replenish the earth, you bring it under and subjugate it, conquer the spirits, the powers, the authorities that are presently at work in the earth, and bring them under the reign of the kingdom of God. And then you have dominion, which means to exercise governmental control. That's why I was saying what I was saying a few minutes ago. Many believers have thrown in the towel, given up the struggle. They don't feel that there's a need to resist. And yet the things that are coming into our world are responsible for bringing its destruction. By expanding Eden, God wanted to fill the entire earth with his glory. Eden was the one place where the manifest glory of God existed in the earth. We actually read in the book of Revelation chapter 21 that is exactly what is going to happen in the last days when Christ returns. God is going to fill the earth with his glory. And Eden will expand to such a degree that the entire earth will be literally a veritable garden of Eden. In fact, the story of the Bible can be centered around three specific gardens. One is the Garden of Eden, 
The last is the garden the earth becomes in the book of Revelation at the return of Christ. And between those two is sandwiched another garden called Gethsemane. It is because of Gethsemane and what occurred there and then on the cross that we have the hope of the earth once again experiencing divine favor. And God knows we need it. With the situation the world is in right now, everything is broken. The economy is broken. The government's broken. Climate is broken. Everything is broken. Relationships are broken. Marriage is broken. One out of two marriages ends in divorce. 67% of second marriages. 73% of third marriages all end in divorce. Socially, the world is broken. Our children are broken. It's kids that are killing each other in these schools. We have sown the wind. We are reaping the whirlwind, as was prophesied in the Bible. That was not God's intention. It was his word of warning and caution. But when you ignore the principles of God, God doesn't force you to obey. He'll watch what you do as you step around all of the obstructions that he has placed in your way to try to prevent you from harming yourself or making the wrong choices. And then as you begin to encounter pain, he will say, I'm still your answer and wait patiently for you to come to him. At the end of time, humanity will literally get to see what we could have enjoyed all along if we had just honored God. And so God's plan for mankind is still to enlarge Eden. And every home should be a little corner of the Garden of Eden. Every church should be a small representation of what the Garden of Eden looks like. And I don't know if you know this or not, but on many of the doors in ancient cathedrals, I'm talking about the really old ones that are hundreds of years old, they literally have wooden doors that are carved into them scrolls and artistic work with swirls and you think it's just art but when you step back and look at it they say that what they actually were doing they commissioned artists to carve into the doors of the cathedrals the tree of life those are not just swirls artistic designs They are an artistic rendering of what the tree of life that no one knows what it looks like is supposed to be represented by. And that's fascinating to me because this was a concept. That when you go in church, we call this the sanctuary. A sanctuary means a sacred or hallowed place. When you come into the sanctuary, you are entering the Garden of Eden again. To gain access to the tree of life. Literally in the Old Testament. In the tabernacle. There was a separate part of the tabernacle. And you've heard me speak of this before. Called the Holy of Holies. And the walls were carved out of sheet of wood. And they were overlaid with pure gold. On the walls there were carved date palm trees. That represented the Garden of Eden. And when you walked into that inner sanctum, it took you something to get to that place. You had to come through the front courtyard by way of sacrifice. You had to, it cost you something 
to get inside where God was at. But the manifest glory of God hovered between the wings of the cherubims over the back of the mercy seat. And it was suspended between the wings of the cherubim and a visible form. That form was the Shekinah, the the Shekinah of the glory of God, a visible blue flame of fire. And it bounced off the walls of the of the most holy place, the holy of holies. And remember, everything was covered with gold. And you could see the trees. And literally, you were in the Garden of Eden when you were in the presence of God. And the question that I have is, how do you turn your home into a little corner of the Garden of Eden? How do we grow families is the real question. How do we grow families who will love God the way we do? That won't buy into the culture of the present hour. Because the, here's the problem. Most of us hear a sermon that lasts 35 or 40 minutes once a week. And then we sit in front of a television that is pumping news opinions straight into our heart and mind. That are often contrary to the teachings of the word of God. How do you overcome the negative influence Of a world that's pulling you the other way. You say, but I'm a child of God. I can resist it. What about your kids? Why is it that when our children go off to universities, 70% of Christian children stop attending church and no longer believe God? It's because their home is not taking their spiritual education seriously. We believe in education. We left off one word. It should be spiritual education. I wish I could hear an amen. Amen. We have made a tacit agreement with the educational systems that we'll go out and we'll work on the job and we'll earn the money to make sure the lights are on and there's food on the table. But you educate our kids. And when we did that, we gave away the five mandates that I mentioned a while ago. Because they're not teaching your children what they used to teach them 50 years ago. They're not. I can tell you. They're not allowed to. We have godly teachers that would love to. But they cannot. We have principals in this church. They would love to. But their hands are tied. So the question is, how can we get back? To growing families who will love God as we do. Let's take a look at our text. Ezra chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, notice this, arose And built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And then this this phrase is what gripped me in my devotions several weeks ago. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries. The scripture says they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the feast of tabernacles as it is written. 
and offer the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. And afterward, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for the new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord. I'm not going to preach long this morning because I had to take time to do some other things that were important. But for a few minutes, I want to, within the context of what I just described as being a need that exists in our nation, I want us to look at this subject, build the altar first. I want to set the scene for you. And I won't, as I said, preach long. The Jewish people had been in captivity for decades in Babylon. Finally, they were given permission to return to their homeland when they got home. They discovered the walls of the city had been, and the cities, not just Jerusalem, had been totally destroyed, broken down. The temple had been desecrated, torn into rubble. Homes had been destroyed, leveled. The army of Babylon had come in and destroyed everything. As they were living in captivity in Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom had taken people from other parts of their realm and other places in their empire, sent them to live in the area they used to live in. And they were vicious and bitter enemies to the people of God. And now the king of Babylon said, you can go home. And you can rebuild the temple. They went back to their homeland. And they were surrounded by folk who wanted to kill them. They didn't have roofs over their head. They didn't have a wall that would provide a perimeter of defense. They didn't have storehouses. They didn't have a temple to worship in. But you know the very first thing they did? They didn't build a wall of defense, which is probably what you and I would have done. Especially when you have people that are threatening to kill you all around you. They didn't build houses so they could put their Sealy Posturepedic mattress on their bed and have a good night's rest. The very first thing they did was build the altar. And I want to tell you that if you want to build a successful family in today's world, the thing that has to come first in your home is you've got to build an altar in your life. Can somebody in the building say amen? Before you can build a home that is loving and satisfying, if you want your marriage to survive, and Jerry and I clocked 55 years this past Thursday, so I feel like I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. Anybody else been married 55 years? Go see your hand. One? Where? Where? Let's give them an applause. Where? Would you please stand? I see you. Just, would you please stand so we can honor you? Let's honor her. How many years? How many years, sweetheart? 57. They've got Jerry and I beat by two years. If you want a marriage to last like 
That one right there. You need an altar in your life. And this is exactly what the scripture means that they were singing about a while ago in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The problem is we seek everything else first. And put God last. And the altar's got to come first if you want your life to succeed, if you want your business to succeed. You say, but I know people who have succeeded who don't have God in their lives. Oh, you mean like Bill Gates? You think he's successful just because he's got money? Look at his personal life and it's a shambles. Don't think that just because somebody drives a nice car or their company is listed in, on the NASDAQ list, Wall Street knows who they are. Don't think that means they're successful. You've got to put God first in your life. That's what Daniel did in the book of Daniel. His enemies tried to trap him in Daniel chapter 6. They couldn't find anything to complain about. And they finally figured out if we're ever going to nail him, it's got to be on something that has to do with his devotion to his God. So they passed a law that you could not pray to any other God other than the king for 30 days, knowing full well that Daniel was going to keep right on serving God. And that's the word that I've come to tell this church. Inspire Church is going to keep right on doing what's right. No matter what the king says, we're going to keep on doing what we're supposed to do. And in Daniel's case, they came with their video recording equipment. Because they knew he was going to pray at a certain time. And you know what he did? He didn't hide in the closet. He opened his window, got down on his knees, and cried out to God while they were all watching him. He refused to be intimidated. He kept his altar first. I want to ask you, where's the altar in your life? And to build an altar that can touch God and change your direction and ensure your future. There are a number of significant things that you need to do that I want to point out to in these last few minutes. Number one, they worshiped. Verse two, they offered burnt offerings, which was their prescribed form of worship according to Moses' law. That was the pattern of worship that had been given to them. So they worshiped. Verse two says, they built the altar to offer off burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Israel's worship cost them something. They sacrificed when they worshiped. I want to ask you a question. When was the last time your worship cost you something? David refused to offer to God anything that did not cost him something. He said, I'm not going to do it. Do you know why? Because when you give something of value, what it does is it recognizes the principle of higher value. I don't have anything to give you God that's as great as you are. So you know what I'll do? I'll give you the best that I have. And let that be in substitution for your greatness because I'm just a mere mortal. I cannot give anything that is compensatory. 
that is of equal value to the person you are. And so by offering to God a sacrifice, you're acknowledging that the object of your worship is worth more than anything you possess. And the very first thing they did, because they wanted to build a temple, they wanted to build their homes, they wanted to build walls, they wanted to build a city, they wanted to sink down roots again, they, they, they wanted to have a successful life, they wanted children playing in the streets, they wanted the favor of God on them, they wanted to have harvest, they wanted, they wanted to see kids grow up and get married again and have children and, and old people sitting on the, the front porch in rocking chairs. They wanted that to happen one more time. And they knew that the way that you get that to happen is not make that happen first. You build the altar first. And what you do is the first thing you do is you make a commitment to worship. The second thing they did is they had daily devotions. Verse 1 says the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. And verse number 4 tells, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Uh, Verse number um, Yes, verse number four says they kept the Feast of Tabernacles. That was a feast that required Israel to go up to Jerusalem to worship corporately every year. It was one of three major feasts. They didn't get the idea that I'm going to go to church when I feel like it. It's going to get real quiet before I'm done here today. Uh, I know that some of you just, uh, you're still reeling in shock over what's happened this week and that I would address it. You didn't think I would not address it, did you? Amen. You just need to know who we are. We believe in standing on the word of almighty God. That's who we are. And we're going to do it in love. Amen. Amen. And I'm not going to look the other way when our conversations arise. Can't do that. You can't be a leader. You got to be willing to lead through bad times and good times and good times and bad times or you don't qualify to be in leadership to begin with. But I want to say they worship corporately. They didn't say, I think I'll go this Sunday and miss the next. Many believers now attend one service out of four. One out of four. That's not putting the altar first. I got to move on. So they had... They worship corporately is what I meant to say. So the first thing they did is they worship. The second thing they did is they worship corporately. The third thing they did is they had daily devotions. That's where I got out of of, uh, order in my notes. In verse 3, they offered burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord. Notice this both morning and in the evening. I need somebody to say morning Come on, shout it out loud. Morning and somebody else say evening. Morning and evening. I will tell you what I found. If you begin your day with God, he's there the whole day. If you wait till the evening, oftentimes you go through your day and then you wonder where did God go? He didn't go anywhere. He's still waiting at the altar for you to meet him where he needed you to meet him that morning. Amen. Amen. Verse number four, they gave, or, or point number four, I should say, they gave. Verse five says they gave free will offerings in addition to the required giving. Amen. Those of everyone who offered a free will offering, those sacrifices were given to God. 
I love that because there were the required sacrifices in Scripture, but then there were free will offerings that you could give to God just out of your heart, your gratitude, your commitment to God. You could say, God, you don't require it, but I'm just going to do it because I love you. And I'm not talking about giving money, though it might be money sometimes. You see, some folk are always looking for what they can get out of doing. Some folk are always looking for the easy way. If you put the altar first, you learn one thing. Altars are about pain. They're about blood. But they result in an open heaven over your life. And they bring the favor of God upon you. And that changes everything. Amen. Amen. Principle number five is they lived by the dictates or the principles of the word of God. Look at verse two again. They did as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They kept the feast of tabernacles. Everybody say, as it was written. Would you do that? Amen. As it was written. I think they got the, okay, they got the right verse up there now. Thank you. As it was written. And then in verse 5, afterward, they offered the regular burnt offerings and those for new moons and for all, everyone say, the appointed feast of the Lord. I want to hear you say it. The appointed feast of the, that's verse 5 that they should have up there. The appointed feast of the Lord. Amen. Appointed feast of the Lord. That is in God's word. There were instructions. And you know what they did? They said, we're going to live by those. That's what got us into the mess we got in 70 years ago when we were carried into captivity to begin with. That's why everything is destroyed. We thought we knew more than God knew. We thought we knew more than than the king of kings that created this world. So we started living by our own instructions and and doing what we wanted to do and what we felt like ought to be done. The next thing you know, this city is destroyed because we made the wrong choices. And we've been carried away into captivity. Now that we're back, we're going to get it right this time. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. And they did. They lived In compliance to the word of God. I want to tell you that if you want to have children. That grow up serving God. You know what they need? And I'm done. They need to see mom and dad live in the home. What's taught in the pulpit at church. Amen. They do. They need to see you live out the principles of the word of God. In your home. Because if you don't live it out in front of them, they will never buy into it. Amen. Principle number six, and I close with this. In doing so, they determined to do more than the minimum. Notice again, let's go back to verse number five where it says they gave free will offerings. Those were the ones above what the law required, as I mentioned a moment ago. And I spend my last couple of minutes here. Jesus talked about how that principle could be applied in the world we live in today. He said in Matthew 5 and 41, whoever compels you to go one mile, you go with him too. You know what that referred to? 
They were occupied by the Roman government. They had been conquered by the emperor of Rome and his armies many years before in 167 AD, a BC rather. And Jesus was living somewhere around 30 AD. So that means it was somewhere close to, I guess, 200 years ago they had been conquered by a foreign power and subjugated. And they hated these people. Look at it like this. If a nation were to come in and dominate the United States of America for two centuries, we couldn't make our own laws. We couldn't, we couldn't do what we wanted. We didn't have freedoms. Imagine what would happen. Imagine how we would feel about it. And the Roman soldiers, they were everywhere. They are all over the place. You'd see them walking, carrying their molly, their rucksack, with all of their equipment, and that thing was heavy. They had armor to carry. And they, if they saw you, they could set it down and say, hey, you, carry this with me for one mile. Well, I've got to go to the doctor. I don't care what you've got to do. I'm on my way to work. Well, you're going to be late then. And they really didn't care, and they would force you to pick up their load and carry it for a mile. And people were chafed and irritated by that. And do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, listen up, I've got a word of instruction for you. If you want to impact the world and you want to get ahead in life, stop trying to see how little you can do and go beyond the required minimum. What a principle of life. What a principle. Because that right there is the secret to success. You got all kind of folk that want to know what's the minimum I need to do to get by. What's the minimum I need to do in my marriage? What's the minimum I need to do on my job? What's the minimum I need to do to get healthy? What I, I want a pill that I can take one time and lose 35 pounds and be ripped like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to be. Amen. That's what I'm looking for. I'm willing to put in the work. Show me the pill. I'll take it. Amen. And seriously speaking, folk are looking for the minimum requirement to be able to get by. And Jesus said, you'll never get anywhere like that in life. You won't even get anywhere like that in the kingdom of God. If you want to make an impact with your life, if you want your company to be successful, if you want your marriage <coughs> to be successful, if you want to make it in life, what you have to do is decide, I will not live just by doing the minimum. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I seize my opportunity. I told you, a few Sundays ago on Easter, Eminem got it right in his song. Lose yourself in the music. The moment you own it, you better never let it go. You only get one shot, don't lose your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Come on now. Don't be looking for the minimum. When it comes to prayer, how long do I have to pray? That's not what it's about. 
How much do I have to fast? That's not what this is about. How, how many times do I have to go to church? You got the wrong idea. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's about expanding Eden, but it's based upon making a decision that I love you so much. I'll do whatever I got to do. I want to be yours completely from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. I want to give it everything I've got. I want to make my life count for God. Hallelujah. I'm done. Job asked this question in Job 6 and 6. Is there any taste in the white of an egg? There isn't. Boil an egg and just take the white off of it and see if it tastes like anything. You say, but I love scrambled eggs or I love sunny side up. What you love is the, the taste of the bacon that you just fried. That's, that's what you love. I'm going to get me a t-shirt that says, has ever, anybody ever said that's too much bacon? No. Amen. There's no taste in the white of an egg. And you know where the white of the egg is at? It's not in the center. It's the best way I can say it. Is just say it's not in the center. I want to live in the center of what God's doing. I don't want to live on the outside where there's no taste and no flavor and where life is bland and mediocre. God, if you're going to do anything, Lord, I want to be right in the middle of it. If there's a move of God, I want to be there. If there's revival, I want to be right in the middle of revival. Can I hear somebody in the building that understands what I'm talking about? God, if your presence is moving, I want to be right in the middle of it. If there are God encounters that are going on, I want to be where they're going on. I don't want to do just what's the minimum. Would you stand with me? Rebecca. In the Bible, the mother of of Jacob. Anybody remember her story? Abraham was old and he sent his servant Eliezer and he said, I want you to go find us a wife for my son Isaac. And Isaac was back home. And Eliezer approached the village and he said, how am I going to know out of all the young ladies in this village that my master has sent me to? How will I be able to discern which one of them is the one you've chosen for my master as his wife? And this is what he said. The one that volunteers when I ask her to give me a drink to not only get a drink for me, but notice this, draw water for my camels. That's the one you've selected. I looked into that one time. There were 10 camels, the Bible says, that he had. 10 camels that he had gone on that trip with across the desert. And camels can, can drink like, if I remember correctly, don't hold me to this, it may have been more, but I think it was 45 gallons of water. And she said, I'll go get water for you out of this well. But I'll not only get water for you, I'll draw for all 10 of your camels. 
God said, that's the one right there. Because she was the one who wasn't looking to do the minimum. God, I'm coming to you today with my pot on my shoulder saying, I'll draw as much as you'll let me draw. I'll worship you as much as you'll let me worship. I want to build a family that loves God. And the way to do that is put that altar right in the middle of your house and begin with daily devotions every day. Can somebody in the building say amen? Every head is bowed. I want our prayer counselors to come. If they would, please. Prayer counselors, make your way quickly if you would. Amen. And then while our heads are bowed, I want to see the hands of those in this building. You'll slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I feel God talking to me right now. I want to draw closer. I want to give more of myself to him. I want to honor him. Would you slip up your hand right where you're you're at and say, that's me, Pastor. God bless you. God bless you and you. Hands all over the building. Amen. God bless you and you. Lord, I need to build that altar. And this is what I'm going to ask. We have families who are here. This is an historic week in the history of this nation. I want you... If God's talking to your heart, I'm opening this altar. I'm asking you to bring your family down here. And I want you to say, God, my family and I are coming forward because we're putting an altar first from this day forward in our home. Would you do that right now? Cross the building. Come. Amen. Putting you first. Putting the altar first. I want my kids saved. I want my children saved. I want to raise family that love God. I want a marriage that honors God. Keep coming. You may not even be married right now. And you may end up getting married later. But I'm going to make that commitment right now. God bless you. Thank you, families. Move in close. Move in close. Praise God. Maybe you're the one that's going to influence your grandchildren. And while your head is bowed, is there someone in this building that doesn't know the Lord yet? Could I see your hand right where you're at? You'll say, Pastor, I need God in my life. God bless you. Home, we're going to pray for you right now your home and you need God while our heads are bowed Father I pray today that you will forgive me of every sin as I take my first step towards you wash me in the blood of Jesus I surrender my life to you I ask you to be my Lord and Savior I ask you to rule over my life I ask you to write my name in the book of life in Jesus name I accept you as Lord and I'm taking my first steps as a new child of God and I will not stop until I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I've been water baptized in your precious name and your life is reflected in mine. We 
ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said amen. And let's give the Lord some praise as we welcome new believers into the kingdom of God. If you just prayed that prayer and have taken your first steps, go on to do three other things. Get water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of your sins as the word of God declares. Number two, be filled full of the Holy Spirit that you may live the Spirit-empowered life. And number three, become a disciple of Jesus. To help you do the latter, I write a daily devotional that they're going to put a number for on the screen and a QR code. And we would love to have you join. And you know what I want us to do right now? I want us to pray. Because what I see across this, the front of this altar is a ton of young families. I thank God for you. And I won't tell you, these are not easy times to raise your kids. I got that. That's why you're here. I am praying, Father, cover every dad that's in this altar. If you're with your family and your dad is there, put a hand on his shoulder and say, God, cover this man. Cover this man. Help him make godly decisions. Help him. Use him. Give him the wisdom to lead this family. God, be with him. Let your grace cover his life. Protect his life. Protect his life. Protect him from strategies of the enemy. And now I pray for the mother. And God, protect the mother who provides nurture and care in the home. And I ask you to watch over her. Give her love and God, give her gentleness and help her to be able to fulfill that role. I know they're both so demanding in these times we live in. But God, by your grace, I'm excited because I know good things are ahead. I know great things are coming. Cover these children. Let them grow up loving God. Let them grow up serving God. Protect them from the influences of a world that's gone mad and no longer embraces the principles of the kingdom of God. We ask it in Jesus' name for the glory of the living God. We praise you today because you are Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody give God some praise. Hallelujah. God is going to protect your home. He's going to cover your children, cover your grandchildren. Amen. He's going to allow you to pass the torch of your faith on to those who matter to you. In Jesus' name, I want you to shout these words today. I declare my family and I are covered. We are protected by the blood of Jesus. No weapon formed against us can prosper. We are blessed. In Jesus' name, we're blessed. I love you so much. God bless you.